the Buffalo Bills are now on a two-game win streak. That's somewhat odd to say. Welcome back in, everyone, to the Bills Beat Podcast here. However you are listening to us, whether it be on, a, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, or Stitcher. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me, as always, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. And, Matthew, this week, the Bills are taking on a division rival in the Miami Dolphins, a team that has kind of been tripping over themselves recently. And really, they've got their young quarterback coming off his best performance, and I'm not sure it's particularly close, uh, of his young career. So I guess the, the conversation kind of shapes itself around Josh Allen because I think... Not it's it's more of a we've seen him do those things show those flashes and now we get to a okay so now what 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 is his secondary uh, response to to being able to do the things that he did and and what will the opposing defense do to try and thwart him so I guess what what is the expectation for you with with Josh Allen and and what what he's trying to do in this week against the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I think he, you know, we talked on Sunday about just how much he's he improved over that time away, but I still think there are plenty of, you know, questions that need to be answered about him and I think this will be an interesting week for it because we haven't really seen him string two games together quite yet where, you know, he's been uh aces two games in a row. He had the good game against the Vikings and then took a step back against the Packers. So seeing him string together two games would be nice. Mm -hmm. But I think more importantly, you know, I want to see how the Dolphins play against him because the Jaguars didn't exact... I mean, there's a formula for beating not just Josh Allen, but most rookie quarterbacks, and the Jaguars didn't follow it. They played a lot of zone coverage, and the formula for beating the Bills this year has been man coverage because their receivers can't really beat it. And... The, the formula for beating Josh Allen and most rookies is to pressure him. And the Jaguars didn't really do that either. They mostly had four guys rushing most of the game. They, they occasionally sent Miles Jack on a blitz and, and brought more than four, but they were mostly rushing with four. And I think the Texans game is a good example of where Josh Allen can get into some trouble when, you know, defenses are dialing up different blitzes and, uh, zone blitzes, different you know coverages and things like that. So I still want to see how he responds in that type of situation. But the way he played on Sunday is going to make defensive game plans against him interesting because he ran the ball very well and showed that he wasn't afraid to you know take hits and extend plays with his legs. But if he starts to use that as a crutch, it's almost going to play into defense's hands a little bit, I think. And But he's also shown that he can now stretch the field with his arm, which he really wasn't showing earlier in the year, despite his strong arm. He was th- showing that he could throw it really far, but he wasn't showing that he could connect on those passes. Now I think defenses have to change how they play against them, and that could open things up for LaShawn McCoy and, and really the entire offense. Yeah, and I, I think we'll probably see a different sort of approach from a defense at him because when Josh Allen has kind of been at his worst is when like you brought up the the pressure has been put on him and uh, specifically from 
less so from the defensive line and more so from the secondary rushers like the linebackers. Yeah, it's not that he wasn't pressured against the Jaguars. Yeah. It's just that he wasn't blitzed. Yeah, the defensive backs, um, which is why I look at somebody like Minka Fitzpatrick or someone like that that could have somewhat of an impact on this game because, you know, coming from that nickel corner role where he just kind of robes around, I think that might be someone the Dolphins try to utilize to get after him. But I think for him, that's the next step here. That That is how he can go from having as good of a performance as he did against the Jaguars, which there were still spots where he could have done better. There were also some spots where his teammates could have done better for him. But when it comes down to it, will he continue to have the same presence in the pocket or, I guess, the willingness to step into the pocket when there is more of a unique defensive package being thrown at him and I think if if he is come along the way that they've wanted him to that's that's the required uh step for him because you know we we saw him actually do some things from the pocket and that was a very good sign but will he do that when things get a little haywire and I think for the Bills that might be the most important part of the remainder of the season because we've seen the arm, we've seen the flashes of potential, and now he has the confidence to actually take it. But what happens when things break down for him? And and will he have the, the gumption to stand tall in there when there are those unique blitzes coming at him? And, and that's something he's yet to prove. Right. And it's not even... I think he's got the toughness to do it. I, I think one of the most encouraging things about what he did on Sunday was taking huge hits in the pocket um, and still delivering the ball downfield, having the the strength and the toughness to do that. I mean, the 75-yard throw to Robert Foster was probably the best example of it, but the throw to Benjamin, he took a pretty good hit. There were a couple others where he just stands in there in the face of pressure and doesn't mind getting hit. The aspect of when teams dial up different pressure and bring blitzers from different angles or you know the Texans have one of the the most complicated defenses and it's why I think he had some trouble in that game and why Peterman had a lot of trouble in that game is you know showing blitz and then dropping guys into coverage Josh Allen needs to show a and, and this is a step for every rookie quarterback it's not unique to Josh Allen and it's not even that we don't know that he can do it it's just having the understanding of your protections is kind of an understated part of playing the quarterback position, seeing what the defense is giving you, recognizing it, and then adjusting your protection accordingly, and just knowing where the pressure is going to come from before it gets there. Reacting to the pressure is an area where I think Josh Allen has improved. Mm -hmm. It's just knowing where it's going to come from, knowing where, you know, replacing a blitz with a throw is, is what, a lot of these guys are trained to do, you know, and finding where the defense is vulnerable because they're bringing extra pressure. That's why teams will pressure rookies and bring blitzes because a lot of times they don't know where those outlets are and maybe they'll panic and they'll make a bad decision. And so that's sort of the next step in these next five games. These defenses they're playing aren't great by any means, but, you know, some of the guys on the, you know, these defensive coordinators will try to 
rattle him a little bit in that way. Why the Jaguars didn't, I mean, they have a lot of faith in their front four. Yeah, it was almost as though it was a little bit of hubris there. Yeah, they really like the guys they have up front, and I also think their defensive coordinator is a bit of a slappy. So, you know, when you combine those two things, you get the result you you had. And you have a guy like Jalen Ramsey, you can probably play more man coverage than they played, but... You know, you have two of the best corners in the league, but they played a lot of cover three. They they didn't, you know, they dropped into zones a lot, and that was a little bit easier for Josh Allen. You know, it, it makes it easier for the, him to, you know, run around. It makes him makes it easier for him to find some of the soft spots. And the Bills used a lot of play action, too, so there was a lot of, you know, easy reads for Josh Allen that I think you'll continue to see more of that because the play action game, you know, is – if you watch the Rams, they do it all the time. If you watch the Chiefs, I mean, it's not even – you don't even have to run the ball well to use play action, I don't think, because mm-hmm. the Bills haven't run the ball well all season long, and play action still helped them out a ton on Sunday, and it makes things a little bit easier for Josh Allen. Especially like. when you have over-aggressive linebackers like the Jacksonville Jaguars well, did. And if and- you're a linebacker, you kind of have to respect the run. That's your primary responsibility. And yeah. so, you know, yeah, guys like Miles Jack are going to bite on it because they have to. And the Dolphins have a pair of guys that that do that as well and and Kiko Alonso, who we know very well, likes to likes to try and get after it and, and uh Raquan McMillan, who are also uh, who is also very reactive to to the run. So you could you could get those guys in play action. But, you know, the I'm expecting pressure on Allen this week. Um, if the Dolphins don't do that, then I think they're a little foolish. But I think they'll see what what Allen did with a clean pocket and and you know just regular old pressure and say, all right, well we need to knock him off his block a little bit because he he can stand pat and and throw it and he'll even do so in the face of about about to being hit, but. If you can force him out of that spot and get him to what he was earlier in in the uh, in the season, then you, you almost have to do that. And then from there, I want to see how he responds because he has shown the penchant to making a dumb throw. And if he can rid himself of that sort of thing, then I think that that will be another part of his next step of growth but but again it's it all comes down to having the experience which is why they're going through what they're going through and being able to diagnose these things and and know what's coming as you pointed out rather than reacting to it so there's all these different avenues for for Josh Allen to improve upon still and I mean take it for what it is I mean that performance was better than only eight completions but at the same time, it wasn't like so overwhelming to where he's just a finished product. There, there are still a lot of areas that he needs to grow at the at the same point. And this is, uh, I think, this is a solid opponent to try and test himself. I mean, the Dolphins—they're not great, but they they still have some nice pieces. Like Robert Quinn's still good coming off the edge. Uh, the linebackers, if you don't deceive them, they're they can get there pretty quickly. Uh, you know, they, their defensive backfield isn't isn't terrible. They've they've got a first round pick in Minka Fitzpatrick, who they like to use a little bit uniquely. So there's there's a lot of different spots where the 
the Dolphins can give the Bills trouble a little bit, especially with how poorly that they've played on offense for the majority of the season. But the one thing that does help Josh Allen now is that, you know, he actually has receivers that are getting open. And Robert Foster, Isaiah McKenzie, don't don't think it's a coincidence that the last two weeks that the Bills have had as much success on offense as they have is where Kelvin Benjamin snaps have gone down to 50 and 40%. And they've gotten speed out there. They've gotten separation with those guys. And you know, there's certainly some quickness to them that has helped in that capacity. Now, they're also, like Allen, going to need a counterpunch because odds are teams are going to start to respect them a little bit more now that they've done something the last couple of weeks. So there's a, there's a lot of different things to, to consider here with, the, with this offense. But if they can continue to grow, and that's a, that's a very good sign, especially... Heading into uh, heading into a lot of softer games coming up at the end of the schedule. Yeah, I think it the addition of or the emergence of Robert Foster has been fairly important just because early in the season it was so easy for teams to use that formula like I talked about where you just play man coverage and dare Zay Jones and Kelvin Benjamin to beat you, which they weren't doing Kelvin Benjamin still isn't really doing uh that big catch he had against the Jaguars was mostly just you know good play design and him getting you know finding a soft spot in his zone. and the you know Zay Jones has been hit or miss for the most part um but still not a guy I don't think that you're terrified of if you're playing in man coverage but Robert Foster gives you a little bit of hesitation because he can beat you and he has shown that he can stretch the field and create those big chunk plays which is what that's the biggest thing with Josh Allen that I think was probably overlooked probably even by myself included before the draft was you know the NFL has become very much a a league where completion percentage is skyrocketing because of a lot of easy throws um easy throws that ironically Josh Allen isn't very good at the screen passes and uh you know tunnel screens different things like that that are basically an extension of your running game but boost completion percentage big time and so Josh Allen doesn't you know he's probably never going to be a guy that's completing 70 percent of his passes the way some guys do but what he does give you is the ability to make big plays Mm -hmm. and those big plays can change a game and you know, I think that was maybe overlooked in some ways that if he can create four or five of those a game and you play defense the way the Bills do, you have a pretty good chance of winning against a lot of teams. And sure, you know, he this offense doesn't look the way the Chiefs offense looks yet or the Rams offense, and maybe it never gets there, but those big plays are a huge part of what Allen brings to the table. Mm -hmm. And like you said, he's not perfect, but when I was writing my story on Sunday night, I, I was trying to figure out when the last time he threw a touchdown that long. And when was the last time he ran one as long as he did, he hadn't ran one that long since he was at Reedley and hadn't thrown a touchdown that long since high school. But in the process of figuring that out, I stumbled upon a video of every touchdown he threw in 2016 not 2017 at Wyoming when he actually had some NFL talent around him. Right. And there were some stupid, stupid plays. Like, oh, I in know. a good way. Yeah. Um, and, 
you know, these 40-yard touchdowns where he extended the play and gave his guy a chance. Plays that not a lot of guys are going to be able to make just because of the arm that he has. And that's such an element where you can see him becoming, you know, pretty... And that's why I made, you know, mention of Big Ben on Sunday because there is an element of that in Big Ben's game where, you know, early on he was making big plays with his arm, but, you know, protecting the football and, you know, the they weren't throwing the ball 40 times a game like they do now. But as you pro- see a guy progress in his career, he's evolved into a guy that can handle that type of, uh, you know, load and handle that type of game plan. Maybe Josh Allen gets to that point too. And um, when you see his ability to make big plays, his willingness to do it and stick it into tight windows, yep. that's something that you can't really teach. Nope. And some of the other stuff, you can. I think you can't. Can you teach accuracy? No. Can you teach him to hit a screen pass? Yes. Um, <laughs> True. Which he's had a lot of it, as Brian Dable mentioned, and I took a look at one of the ones he screwed up pretty badly the with one Joe that he, that he dirted? And it that was, he said? Yeah. You know, Brian Dable mentioned that he rushed his process. Basically, he jumped back instead of stepping back and didn't really give his, you know, physically his body just... You couldn't get the torque you needed, and you were never going to throw an accurate ball that way. And it went directly into the turf, and it's it's not you know ideal, but I think you can teach a guy to make those throws. He actually makes accurate throws to the second and third level of the field a lot oh, yeah. of the time. It's some of the easy ones. He just doesn't know how to take something off yet. I think he just gets really excited <laughs> because he, he knows he has to hit the throw, and that's exactly on that one. I mean, he barely had his feet set, if at all. I mean, and, yeah, and he, he didn't just, take he a just step back. Chucked it. He should have shuffled back, and instead he like jumped and twisted his body, and then his feet were all out of balance, and he overstrided because he jumped, and all those little things result in. But the reason, to your point, is he did get a little excited because when he first looked over, Jalen Ramsey is pressed up against Isaiah McKenzie, and then when he looked back over, Ramsey had dropped into you know more of a softer coverage leaving that window open Mm -hmm. and so he's like all right i got him and he you know screwed it up but i think where you saw like a small improvement in josh allen was some of these third and shorts where the read is a quick one a quick outside throw i thought he did a better job with those you think about the logan thomas third down that was called back Mm -hmm. by a penalty he extended the play but kept his eyes you know, downfield and hit Logan Thomas on a third and five. It got called back. But the third and four to Isaiah McKenzie later after he oh, darted out? that one. Yeah. Quick out. It's super simple play. That nothing, was one of my favorite throws. Of nothing his. fancy. But when you go back to the last time he was on the field, he missed a few of those because he got to the top of his drop and hesitated. Mm-hmm. I think what, you know, people always scoff at the idea that a guy can learn from the sidelines. But I think what he probably saw was the, you know, benefit of playing with timing and trusting, you know, the longer you play in the NFL, the more you realize that the window in the NFL where a guy is open is a lot different than it was in college. A guy might not look open to the naked eye, but in the NFL, he's open for a split second. And on those throws, he's hitting the top of his drop, getting the ball out, and that's a first down. Two plays later is the 45-yard run. And if he doesn't have that, if he doesn't have that throw to McKenzie, 
he doesn't have that run. They don't score on that drive, but they flip the field. Bortles throws an interception. Then it was over. And the game was over because they got the field goal, and that was it. So little plays like that add up, keep your offense on schedule, and he made a few of those plays. And that that's a you know big time encouraging sign. Even that third down to Isaiah McKenzie. Yeah, that was called 15, back. That, that was called back. That that was uh, that was he he saw him and that was an anticipatory throw and it, it was right on the money to where McKenzie, who was a little bit fortunate that I think Bouye was in coverage that he was a little bit farther off than he needed to be and he took advantage of it and he squirmed and and got himself a, a few yards past the first down and that. It, it, Making those types of throws in that spot, you know, it, it makes you feel like you're always alive when even when you have these third and, you know, 10 plus type of situations going against you, having a guy with a live arm like that, that's that's all these are all good things. But this is only one game and this is what you need to come back to. And, you know, we mentioned that how he was excited on that one throw that he dirted. I mean, that's just kind of him to a T. He gets too excited in the pocket or he gets a little bit too ahead of himself and that's what has led to a lot of his problems. So I think he just kind of needs that experience to calm himself a bit more, be a little bit more poised in the pocket, and that's the stuff that comes with time if you do it correctly, which is why they need to do and take this time right now. Wanted to get into something else that kind of struck me when watching the film because we're now 11 games in and one player that I think it's now fair to question whether or not this player is still great or a, a you know an extreme asset for the team is LaShawn McCoy. I mean, with the exception of the Jets game, he has been nothing this year. I mean, I mean, I mean, he's had some yards, has had some good plays here and there, but that's to be expected with a running back that's getting the ball as as much as he has. But what I'm seeing when I watch him, and I I, I was wondering if this was going to change after the Jets game where he had a, a bunch of success, is a player that is hesitant. And I was going to say, that's, did, did you notice the one run? He hit the hole and had a big hole. And then Diverted. almost like stopped mm-hmm. in his tracks mm-hmm. because I don't know what it was if he wasn't willing to take on the contact or usually that was a run where you would see LaShawn McCoy find one of those jump cuts or mm-hmm. make a guy miss in the open field and get six, seven, sometimes 20 extra yards because of the way that he is. And instead he almost completely stopped and then just kind of, you know, it was quick for the Jaguars to close on him. That was one that kind of sent alarm bells off. Right, and, you know, there's there's a few different elements here. I mean, you can sit there and go, well, their offensive line sucks, which is true, but... So do most offensive th- lines. Yeah, but there are plenty of times where the offensive line gives him enough of a crease to do some damage, and he does nothing with it because he's either A, too hesitant, or B, you know, not to, not to put it bluntly, but to put it bluntly... He's not quick enough to, to make those guys miss anymore. Or at least that's the way it seems. Or at least he's not confident enough to make those guys miss anymore. And really the only extreme time that I've seen him make someone miss this season 
was the one where he got the handoff right in the backfield and spun out of it when their defender was right there and ends up getting 20-plus yards on the play. That's been it. I mean, for the most part, it's been a guy who has been going down before the contact gets to him. It's been someone who has been hesitant to take what's given to him as and instead going for something a bit bigger where there's more open room and nine times out of ten, that gets shut down for less yardage than he would have gotten. So I think it's very fair to wonder, now that we're 11 games in, he has been a part of nine for all intents and purposes because the Colts game, he was down after two two plays, and then he didn't play, I believe it was in the Vikings game. So in nine out of these 11 games, or eight out of those nine games, he has been a non-factor. And that is jarring, especially when you have a player that is as weighty on your salary cap as he is or or for what he means to your team, and especially because that they have committed to him past, uh, you know, publicly saying that yeah, this he's going to be a part of our 2019 roster. But what I think they need to do is they need to be self-aware here because they can't get lulled into this LaShawn McCoy is LaShawn McCoy. He's always going to be LaShawn McCoy. They have to look at him very carefully over these last five games to add to the supporting evidence of does this guy still have it and should he still be the starter next year? I mean, there is a... There's, I mean, there's going to be a role for him next year. He's still a competent player. He's still someone that can get you yards, but he, it almost seems like he might be getting to a point in his career where he's better served for being a complementary player as a po- or a or a half the time player, in addition to another young running back that that you believe in. So that lends itself to the to the theory of, well, day two. Early day three, they might be severely in the market for a running back, um, and that could infinitely help Josh Allen and company. I feel like they absolutely have to get younger at that point. Well, yes. I mean, but it's where they strike. I think, you know, I don't know that you, that's not a position that you need to spend a first round pick on. It's not even a position that you need to spend a second round pick on, but. You know, there are there have been some good backs available in rounds two through four in recent years that if you're scouting the position well, you should be able to find one. And they're so old at that spot that uh, I really feel like that's a necessity um, for them rather than a luxury. I will say, though, Panthers mold. They do draft running backs fairly early. So they have in the past. I, I, I wouldn't, mean, wouldn't be surprised if, you're gonna if they are going to draft a running back early, he better be able to do what Christian McCaffrey does because that guy yeah, true. helps you out in the passing game. And I don't know that a guy like Leonard Fournette is you know what you want right. if you're drafting super early. I mean, Leonard Fournette's a beast, and he's really good, but you're still that style. Um, you know, you want a guy like – Alvin Kamara, like, you know, Christian McCaffrey in the passing game is really, really dynamic. And that's what you need to help out your quarterback more than anything. And that's another thing with McCoy. We haven't seen him get involved nearly as much with the passing game as he has in the past. And that's, that's also a bit of a concern because you feel like with how creative Brian Dable has been these past couple of weeks, you would, you would, and based on where he comes from, which is New England, 
who excels in the screen game and gets their running backs the ball in the passing game, you would you would tend to think that that wants that's part of the equation here. But I don't know. It's just McCoy's been off this year, and maybe it's the the natural decline. I, it's just there's just he hasn't been the same player. He and, hasn't had a single game where he's averaged at least five yards a carry. And that used to be commonplace for him. Last year he had one, two, three, four of four such games. So, I mean, also, I mean, you look at some of these games last year, five catches, six catches, seven catches, six catches, five catches, six catches. That's only one game where he's had more than five this year, and it was that New England game where they were playing from behind, and I think that was just something the Patriots were going to allow to happen was he can catch the ball and we'll, we'll just tackle him and we'll be fine with it. So, yeah, I think, you know, there are times where Chris Ivory is the better option. I don't think that's a, a stretch. You know, the way that he runs, the tough yards that he gets, you know, they still gave McCoy 17 carries last week and all he got was 46 yards. I mean, there have been games where he's gotten a ton of carries and not done a lot with them. There's been games where the game script doesn't, um, you know, really favor him and, and he doesn't get a lot of carries, but there have been games where he's gotten opportunities. Now, I could see him having a solid game this weekend, all this said, because right. he's had some success down there in the past. Um, last year he got hurt down there, so um, but in other games he has had, you know, good games against Miami before. The schedule softening up, maybe this is a chance for him to, you know, find his sea legs again and start to get some confidence because uh, he he doesn't look as confident with the ball in his hands as he used to, and that's probably the more concerning part. I think all along they probably needed a running back, but I feel like they really need a, to draft a guy and, you know, get some youth in there and inject some life into that position. Well, he needs to show something in these last five games. He he absolutely does. And They're not uh, committed. Uh, I know Brandon Bean said, and, you know, we've talked about the reason they probably didn't trade him is because they had that in mind, that he would be back in 2019. And, and that's still probably going to be the case, but they're not under any sort of obligation no. to bring him back. I mean, they could still save a lot of money by cutting him if, if they so choose, but... I think if they also, if we're going back to Panthers theory, they hung on to D'Angelo Williams slash Jonathan Stewart for a long time, probably far longer than most other teams would have. So I wonder if they see a benefit to having a, an older running back in, ter- in terms of having a complementary style piece. Um, but to, to go off your Chris Ivory point, I, I, you know, stats are what they are. I mean, McCoy has obviously gotten more time. It almost feels like Chris Ivory has been the more consistent guy throughout the entire year because he takes what's given, and McCoy doesn't. And with this offensive line, you have to take what's given. It, McCoy just doesn't do that consistently enough. So I, I, I am going to be tracking him over these last five games because if he doesn't do himself any favors or if he continues to have games like he did against the Jags and so many other times this year where he's just been a complete non-factor, 
I mean, that's forcing the Bills' hand to make a move at his position, perhaps more substantially than they wanted to coming into the offseason. So he's he's definitely a, a side story to track in all this because you know a good running game or a pass catching running back is going to help your young quarterback so much. And they just don't have that right now. And that's that's kind of a damning thing. All right, it's let's... not always easy, too, to like figure out when a running back, especially one like LaShawn McCoy, is going to hit the proverbial wall. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that he's hit it necessarily, but There's something you, up. you don't want to wait too long to get rid of a guy. I mean, for... I mean, you brought up D'Angelo Williams. He's a good uh, he's a good comparison. I think of Maurice Jones-Drew when he hit the wall at the end of the Blaine Gabbard era. I think of did you, you know, work hard for that one? Well, I just realized when I saw a tweet about him that I was like, oh, I haven't mentioned him. Do you just have a Blaine Gabbard uh, column? <laughs> well, in your I was looking at deck? my column of uh, likes that somebody was uh, happy that I mentioned Blaine Gabbard in my post game column. Mm-hmm. But I do it. It's a similar situation where you, you held on to a veteran running back because you paid him a lot and he's one of your leaders and you had a young quarterback and Jones Drew hit the wall. And it's happened to, you know, Jonathan Stewart, D'Angelo Williams. It happens a lot. I mean, Adrian Peterson is one of those weird examples where he hit the wall and then ran through it uh, because he's playing really well now. But LaShawn McCoy, the way he plays, once that quickness is gone, yep. Or once that killer instinct is gone, mm-hmm. then you're left with not much. I mean, the that's the flip side to the argument of, oh, he can last longer because he hasn't taken a lot of hits. Sure, true, because he doesn't take a lot of direct contact because of the way he plays. But also the way that he plays is such that he needs that quickness. And he needs that. And you're not going to be as quick at 30 as you are at mm-hmm. 23, 24, 25. Um so, you know, when you don't have a changeup, when you don't, when you're not able to run through guys, then, you know, your effectiveness declines. It's why it's a, that's a very, I mean, the NFL is a young man's game as it is, but running back is such a young man's position. Mm-hmm. And it's why teams churn through these guys on rookie deals and you don't see a lot of them get huge money free agent deals. It's why Le'Veon Bell got locked into the you know the situation he got locked into do you know why because it's smart business it's that simple because i mean unless it's a a generational talent you don't invest in those running backs hate to say it but they're they're extremely replaceable and and it's always it's always been that case you're probably not going to find another kareem hunt growing on trees but i also don't think the chief's offense stalls out considerably without kareem hunt I would probably make the same argument about Todd Gurley. I don't know that that offense suffers a severe drop off if Todd Gur- you know, whoever the guy behind Todd Gurley is, has to step in for a few games. And that is probably the major difference. Those are two of the best backs in football right now. Even look at Pittsburgh and the way James Conner has played. Um, in, That's the best in example place of, of, of Le'Veon Bell. Of all of it. And. Connor's hit a bit of a wall these last few weeks, but doesn't matter. You know, he's still I, been great, and he's he's had a tremendous season. So it's not that the running back position is useless. It helps to have a good guy back there, but you can find them, and sometimes the best guys 
are the youngest guys. And and you don't have to pay them $9 million. And you don't know <laughs> when, you know, Kareem Hunt will stop being Kareem Hunt. It'll right. be earlier than Patrick Mahomes stops being Patrick Mahomes. I can totally almost right. guarantee you that. And that's why that position doesn't get, you know, a ton of value on, on the open market. And it's why teams, smart teams, pick a lot of running backs and stay young at that position. And that's one area, I think, where the Bills are definitely too old. All right, very quickly, because we're coming up on the end of uh, the in-between where practice is going on, so we're going to have to get into the locker room. So let's let's get into our pick. Bills against the Dolphins. Uh, the Dolphins, I believe, are now, what, four and a half? Yeah, it started at six, and it's been bet down considerably. All right, who do you got? For the first time all season, I'm picking the Bills to win wow. outright and cover that spread. Are you I serious? This is the first time you picked them all I'm year? I'm pretty sure it's the first time I've picked them to win all That's season. That's impressive. I think. I'd have to go back and listen to every i should probably write that down there's probably somebody out there keeping score on how poorly i pick these games but i think they play well in miami in recent years uh i they used to not play very well down there but they've been pretty good down there i don't have a i just don't believe in this dolphins team you know the way they came out of the gate strong uh had a lot of people excited but i just think Ryan Tannehill against this defense has always been a bit of an issue mm-hmm. um, and I just I think the Bills are playing with some confidence right now the offense is showing some life I think they can win this game I think it's a game they should win and I think for the first time all season there's a shot next week that they'll be favored in a game they have not been favored they were on a historical run where if if they had not been favored for the rest of the season, it would have been the first time a playoff team would have gone the entire next season without being a favorite, which they're is kind g- of insane. They're going to wind up getting favored a couple of times. Unless this year. Josh Jeff- Allen gets hurt. Right, right. That's where right. you know the point spreads would get out of whack. But I think they win this game, I'll say, 24-17. All right. Well, um, for the second straight week, I will disagree with you. Uh, I think the Dolphins are going to win this game, and because I I do think the Bills' offense is due for a little bit of a letdown, I think the Dolphins are going to attack Josh Allen a bit differently than uh, the Jaguars did. I think they're going to utilize some more unique pressures on him and and get after him a little bit. I do think the Bills' offense will still uh, not become what they were in Indianapolis or anything like that, but I, I do think they're it won't be as efficient as it was. I'm seeing a turnover or two um, forced by this Miami defense. And secondly, I, Tannehill... Are you a clairvoyant of some sort? Yes, I You said I that am. as if you were uh, yeah. uh, holding your hand on a crystal ball. I'm seeing a turnover in their future. I am. <laughs> I am. Well, I mean, the Jalen Ramsey prediction that we both had almost came true. That was one of Josh Allen's bad plays. Even yeah, it was it got really overturned. Bad. It yeah. wasn't a very good throw. For sure. Um, and from the Dolphins' offense... They have a really good offensive line. Um, I mean, maybe not really good might be strong. They have a, a solid offensive line that I think can thwart the Bills' pass rush. Um, perhaps not Jerry Hughes all game, but I think Tunsil can do a, a good enough job on Hughes, and I think the interior is a bit better than what the Jags had, especially after Norwell went out, and that's really part of where the game flipped a bit when Williams and Hughes started working together well. So I think... Tannehill is better against the zone than he is against man, and I think he might be able to pick on the uh, Edmonds a little bit in coverage. But um, it, and really, it's just it's this is good. I think it's going to be a boring game. I really do, and uh, I, I don't know if the Dolphins are going to cover. 
I'll pick them to cover, but more so out of just them getting the ball after some turnovers and get racking up some field goals or maybe a, a lucky touchdown or something like that. So I, I'm going to take the Dolphins in this game for a little bit of a come-back-to-earth um, learn, learning experience for Josh Allen and company. So uh, you've got the Bills, I've got the Dolphins, and we'll see. we'll see where the rubber meets the road here. Okay. Um, that's going to do it for us. Uh, practice is about to let out. So thanks everyone for listening to this week's edition of the Bills Beat. We will next talk to you from, what is it, Hard Rock Stadium now? Hard Rock. Not Hard Rock Cafe Stadium. No. Hard Rock Stadium. I don't know why anyone would make that, that mistake. Very uh, stupid thing to say. <laughs> was that Rodak? No, that was me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I was wondering if Hard Rock Stadium was... If the Hard Rock was the same as like Hard Rock Cafe, mm. which I'm not, still not convinced that they're not in cahoots somehow. <laughs> what is Hard Rock? I don't know. Like, what kind of company is that? Hard Rock. It's a, because it's a Hard Rock company. The Hard Rock Cafe. I'm. It must be the same thing. I don't. All right. I'm. I'm convinced. All right. Well, no matter what, we've got to go. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. My name is Joe Biscalia. For Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, we will talk to you on Sunday from Hard Rock Stadium, not cafe. See ya.